0: Well, good morning everyone. You'll be happy to know that this Sunday I brought my head with me. <laughs> Last Sunday was a yeah, yeah. Last Sunday was a nightmare. Well, let's go to John chapter 11. And we'll read the first six or seven verses. For those of you who are guests, we're delighted to have you as every Sunday. John, chapter 11. I'll eventually get there, these pages. Sometimes a little hard to turn. Well, we read in verse 1, And a certain man was sick. His name was Lazarus of Bethany, of the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment. She was the one who wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sisters therefore sent to Jesus saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Catch that. When Jesus heard it, he said in the hearing of his disciples, this sickness is not unto death, but it's for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now, Jesus, a second time, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When therefore he heard, they heard, that, he, when therefore he heard that he, Lazarus, was sick, Isn't this odd? He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's very, very significant. You know, you see the title of the message. Some things are not what they seem to be. A little illustration of that for those of you who are guests. That's my wife over there. Ossie and I are in some ways... Just the opposite of the way people would probably think. I'm guessing that most of you who know us would think of the two of us, she was the more cautious and fearful person of the two of us. Actually, when Ossie was younger, she was more bold and daring than the two of us and was less fearful. I'll give you a couple of those illustrations. One time with our church group in Denver, I wasn't on the trip. They went to Paris. Now, Aussie doesn't speak one word of French. So there they were in a hotel just near the subway. She went out on her own, alone, got on the subway, I wouldn't have done that in a thousand years, not knowing a word of French. I said that. I emphasize it. She said, well, I may only be in Paris once. So, by golly, this is my chance to see it. It was a night, so she took off all by herself. Somehow, she has no sense of direction, but somehow she got back to the place where she was to get off. She was always more by, except for money, always more of a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind. One time in Denver, she likes travel, actually more than I do. She uh, said to me, Jimmy, why don't we take the family and go to Europe? Well, I am cautious. I don't want to go anywhere, and I don't know where I'm going, how I'm going to get there. There was a big deal, World Airlines, some of you might remember, that was offering these real cheap flights like $99 to get from here to London. So she talked me into it, and uh, I was planning to do it, and I said, I know they speak English over there. A lot, but uh, how do you propose to know where to get off, where to get on, where to stop and find a place? Oh, we'll figure that out when we get there. (laughs) Not me. I'm not going to figure it out when I get there. I'm going to have it planned. But she could, not these days, but in those days, she could operate very well like that. And she is with a capital S, a survivor. She would have figured out, how to do it. Fortunately, my cautiousness saved us on this occasion because World Airlines went under while we would have been over. We might have lived in London with the two girls the rest of our lives. Anyway, some things are not the way they appear to be, and we'll see that in this text. They're not always the way they see. Well, we see in verse 11, Moving right along, after Jesus evacuated Jerusalem, he went to the region beyond the Jordan River. Let's kind of get this. Here's Jerusalem, and down here's Jericho. You go down about 3,000 feet. As some of you know, you've been with us on these trips. And right at Jericho, there's the Jordan River. Jesus went across the Jordan River with his disciples. and went kind of out into the wilderness. And uh, that's where John the Baptist used to do a lot of his baptizing. There was a certain man, not just any man, he was ill. His name was Lazarus of Bethany. Bethany, here's Jerusalem. You go down through the Kidron Valley, which is not big, and you go up a hill, the Mount of Olivet. And then just on the other side of it is the traditional home of Lazarus. We don't know about that for sure. Anyway, it was very important for John the Apostle, the writer of this gospel, very important for him to highlight the special bond that existed between Jesus and this family, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And it was Mary who who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. There is no hint that Mary, the sister of Martha, was the other Mary that's mentioned as having done this up in Galilee. On the contrary, we know that. Because a large company of Jews were present when Jesus raised Lazarus. We're not there today. And she was obviously a woman of high reputation and maybe wealth. She and Martha and Lazarus. So why is this anointing of Jesus' feet highlighted here? John's just anticipating that he will what he will relate in chapter 12. But his wording here suggests that he knows that by the time of his writing, which was decades later when this gospel was written, that the story about her would have gone around the Christian world. Well known. The reason it was for John the Apostle so important to highlight this special relationship here and again in verse 3. Is to raise a question. Raise a question in bold relief. Why the Lord. When he heard about the death of his dear friend. He did not immediately. Take off. So we got to get to the hospital guys. Hurry up pack your stuff. We got to get back. To Bethany. As quickly as possible. Now right there is a very great contemporary lesson for every one of us walking with God in the unfolding of this delay. Verse three, knowing Jesus' whereabouts, Mary and Martha, seeing the critical condition of their brother Lazarus, they sent an unnamed courier. We don't know who it was. Sent him to Jesus. And told him what was going on in their family. And the message was, Lord, he whom you love. Underscoring that again. The loving bond between Jesus and this family. He is sick. And of course, they wouldn't have sent him if he just had COVID. Of course, the communique was shared with his band of disciples. That's evident from verse four. Jesus said to them, they were curious why he didn't get on his horse and get out of there. This has a lot to say to us. Bear with me. Jesus said something a little bit mysterious to them. Hey guys, You may wonder why I'm not getting out of here real fast. This sickness, verse 4, is not unto death. In this instance, his sickness is for the glory of God. This sickness, in other words, is so the Son of God may be glorified through it. The expression, not unto death, means that Lazarus' illness, desperate illness, deadly illness in this instance, was not his appointed time to take permanent leave, permanent leave of life. He's going to die. Rather, it was a sickness that would take a shape in a form of experience of a very brief death. It would serve as a platform to magnify the power and the love of God. Here is where I get that title. Things are not as they appear to be. Here's a good reminder. That when we pray. As do Mary and Martha. For deliverance from death. In the case of Lazarus. When something terrible strikes us. Or a loved one. It's a reminder that some harsh experiences. Are platforms from which the Lord wants to display his glory. I've told you, and we're still thanking God today. It may not seem like that big a deal. It's like Aussie and I, back February 27th, we experienced in the middle of the night the theft of our late Toyota Camry from our garage. You go out there, you're going to go to work. Oops. I don't have a car Soon became evident Somebody invaded our premises And they took our car We have one car Oh this is going to mess up everything Now what I do Okay I call the police and all this So you know what you go through Well we finally managed to get to work We didn't know where a car was. Some of you have heard this story. I don't even remember how we got to work. We didn't walk. (laughs) But we got over here. Maybe John came and got us something like that. We got over here to the office. But this time, we had both regrouped a little. We knew we were going to have to find a car somewhere, somehow. And I don't have time in my life to go shopping for cars. So we're standing there at the desk, but this time we were laughing a little about it. Everybody was. And there was Russ Johnson, auto manners, standing there. He just came in the door. I said, hey, Russ, I was just kind of joking. You don't have a car, do you? He said, well, yes, yes. I just happen to have. I have a very nice 1921 Toyota Camry. I said, what color is it? He said, silver. I said, I don't like silver. What's the price? And he gave me the price, which was a very good price. Aussie said, I love silver. (laughs) So we went outside and there it was. And we got us a new Camry. Aussie still loves it. We get in the car. She says, I love this car. Things are not always what they seem to be. That seemed for just a little bit to be a disaster. But it was a platform. It was not a death situation. But it was a platform like often happens to you and to me. For the Lord God to display his glory. And He displayed his glory in another monument. Next thing we know, we're in that car. And we're driving around and driving away. Thank you, Russ. Are you here? somewhere you should tell a guy he should get in church i'm using i'm taking his name but not in vain (laughs) anyway it was just one of those platforms it seemed ugly it was distressing it was disturbing your home invaded like that how in the devil did somebody have the boldness turned out to be a couple people on fentanyl man and a woman Well, it turned out for good. It turned out for good. And God was glorified in it. A car is not the biggest thing on earth. They're big, but they're not the biggest deal. But when you need one, it's a big deal. And the Lord had a cure for our situation right there. So that's the way God often works. Unless the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ intervenes, It's appointed for everyone in this room to die in the conventional sense of the term. I like to say our lives are like dynamite, they're fused. Some of our fuses in the providence of God are longer. Some are shorter, but God has a life plan for everybody in this room. And eventually something is going to take every person in this room down or out. Some of us may be gone quicker than we know. Others of us may hang around longer. Than anyone expected. To the great regret. <laughs> Perhaps of some. Some sicknesses are unto death. And uh, and that is final. Others like this one may be those platforms. to To teach us. Oh it's a good lesson. That God is not limited by what we are limited by. So in the providence of God, they happen. These events, these scary things, these things that might be deadly. They happen, they drive us to our knees. No disrespect to medical doctors who do their best. But there are times when medical science says, and I think I can't remember If it was past yesterday, I don't remember. (laughs) Laugh. (laughs) But listen, there are times when some of you in this church have been written off. They said, we've done all that we can do. That's when the Lord likes to step in at times and say, not so fast. Don't bury them yet. This is what happens with Lazarus, as we will see later not today. The Lord steps in and he embarrasses all the wisdom and the medical technology of man and he delivers us or a loved one from death's sure grip. Remind me, Russ, of whom I lately spoke, Russia. Shortly after that event, you remember he was playing pickleball I guess it's a stressful game, but it's the dumbest na- name I ever heard for a serious game. Sounds so sissy. I wrote that on Facebook, I and mean, you, bl- you wouldn't believe the flashback that I had. You ought to try to all that barking. It's a sissy-sounding game. Anyway, Russ was playing pickleball, and then he went down. And how many times did he code? Was it three? Come on, somebody help me over there. You're in his family. They don't know Russ. (laughs) Anyway, he coded two or three times, which means he was, you spell it, D-E-A-D. And we got the word. And of course, was it a Sunday morning? Somebody say something. Was it a friend? Anyway. We got up to, like I say, if it was past yesterday, I don't remember. Anyway, we shot up there to the hospital uh, to, to see him. Maybe it was Sunday. I knew everybody would be up there going around swarming like bees all around him. He was, and, uh, But we didn't have any real hope. And uh, finally, when Sunday afternoon after church. We went up there. He was in pretty good shape. And then, just about a week later, it seems to me, not very long after that, he was home and standing in the church office. Many of you know that, maybe others of you didn't. He didn't come into the church office like this. No. He walked in boldly and briskly, you know, like I go, <laughs> laugh. Anyway, it was amazing because what God said was not so fast. He's not out of here yet. This was a platform to show Russ and Mary, the family and the church family, that who's in charge? God is in charge. You're not dead, you're not going to die until the Lord God says you are. And then you will die and all the prayers in the world won't bring you back. Or some other great emergency like that. It may not have to do with death. In those situations, I tell you, I want to caution you about something. This is a bit of a sidebar, but it's an important one. In those situations, keep this distinction in mind. There is a sickness unto death and there are sicknesses for the glory of God and other kinds of emergencies too. In the case of a sickness unto death, prayer is not going to avail. It's not a matter, hear this, very important, I've got an illustration here in a minute. It's not a matter of weak faith when God does not grant your petition for your loved one For deliverance. It is a matter of death. Certain death in this fallen world. That's part of the fabric. Of the Genesis curse. It goes with the territory. Of living in this world. And it's going to happen to every one of us. Sooner rather than later. Despite all the powers. You can bring this whole church together. And ten other churches. But in those cases. There is no guarantee. It was a sickness unto death. In that case, when prayer does not avail, are you listening? It does not mean that our petitions have failed. It just means that our supplications, unintentionally, we didn't know, they run counter to God's intentions. He knows the day that we're born and the day that we die. In all such cases, remember, I've said this, I don't know how many times in my ministry, His no's, even if we don't understand it, are better than our yeses. Don't anybody here, as I continue this little bit of a sidebar, don't wind up telling people, as some do, that they can, through prayer, call on God to overturn the curse of this temporal world and overthrow the present constitution of the universe. Yet here is what we can and should do. Since without the benefit of direct revelation, and you and I don't have that, or we may have this, some strong, strong impression from the Holy Spirit, that can happen. Our spiritual sensitivity may not be as calibrated to the Holy Spirit as we think. We don't know which it is. Let us pray boldly for the sick and the dying, but also pray humbly and submissively. I say humbly because it is rare, rare that we can be sure, we can be certain what the Lord is going to do. So pray as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let this cup pass from me. He prayed in great beads of sweat, almost like blood. They broke from his brow, but he still said, Not my will, but your will be done. And we know his will was the cross. Let us pray that in death or in deliverance, God may glorify himself through our circumstances. So I always say, I always tell people, some of you have heard me say it. I don't know what God will do. There are people out there, pretty stupid people. Well, I tell you, I know what God's going to do. We prayed. Unless you've had direct revelation, which I sorely doubt. Don't say that say that I know what God can do but I don't know minus divine revelation what he will do let's admit that this kind of overpowering impression I had a friend now deceased letter to Christ don't remember what it was but Joyce had one of those powerful impressions in a situation like that she was right and there was a great deliverance those are rare They're not every day. A lot of people claim that stuff falsely, and they're an embarrassment to the Lord's name when they do that falsely. Let's humbly acknowledge that other influences other than the Holy Spirit can contaminate our our perceptions, and we can find ourselves saying, The Lord has told me this or that when, in fact, we misread the tea leaves. If I may put it so, we embarrass God and, in effect, make a liar of him. You don't want to do that. That kind of stuff, particularly in these days of Pentecostalism, happens all too often. Especially when people are trying to justify actions or behaviors that wisdom might have given them pause and good reason to question. So sometimes they'll fall back piously on the excuse. Well, the Lord told us this or that when what it was was their own desires and imagination that caused them to make God the author of some move or action that he did not order. So let's be very, very careful here. Let no one burden broken people with an extra crushing burden of guilt. Claiming that death or that sickness that your loved one has is the result of your lack of faith. That's terrible. That is so cruel. There was a cancer-stricken wife of a music professor at Western Seminary where I taught all through the 80s and into the and. 1991, overlapping with the church one year. This lady was dying. The doctors all said, she's out of here. They didn't put it like that. She was chastised by her Pentecostal family and friends. She and her husband for their lack of faith. That was a vicious and biblically ignorant lie. And those who propound that kind of thing deserve the discipline they will likely one day receive for such abuse and discouragement of their sheep. But in this case, Jesus knew this sickness is for the glory of God. By this, he meant as he said. said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again, verse 4, this sickness is not unto death. He knew, but it's for the glory of God that the Son of Man may be glorified by it. The effect of this miracle when he got around to raising Lazarus, not in this text, would produce all those effects, and it would magnify Jesus, and it really did. Now in verses 5 and 6, Jesus loved Martha and her, sister, Mary, and Lazarus. When therefore, I'll break it off. I'll contemporize it. You you call me, come to tell me at my office or wherever I might be, that uh, somebody you know that I really love and really close to, Maybe it's Aussie, but Aussie, I'm sorry to tell you, is in bad shape, Pastor Jim. She she may not live. And I say, thank you for the communication. I don't move. I hang around for another day or two. You're going to look at that as his disciples did. What's the deal? Thought he loved Lazarus. Thought he loved his wife. Why isn't he moving out of here warp speed to get back to Bethany and get to her? You'd have that question, wouldn't you? Well, let me tell you something. Think about this. One of the beautiful lessons of this passage. There are times in your life and my life may have already been. and may be up ahead. When things like that happen and there are two sisters, you may be one of the sisters, metaphorically speaking. And you hear that the Lord is not coming to you. It's not happening. He's not showing up. Lord, I need this now. I need your help now. She died. It does not look like love, does it? It happens to you. It happens to me. If it hasn't, it will at some point. Not necessarily a death situation, but maybe. You're praying your heart out. You're crying your eyes out. You see it going down. And the Lord in heaven, he is lingering. He's not moving to relieve the situation, to arrest it. Right at that point, The temptation is to begin to question the love of God. I'm sure many of you have already been there. But you've learned the latter end of this thing. Jesus waited, the text says, because he loved Lazarus. Now, wait a minute. His delay was because he loved them. There are times, folks, when the love of God wears a hard face. There are times when the love of God is camouflaged as indifference to your eyes. There are times when stuff happens to you, your loved ones, where it has all the appearance of abandonment In the time of trouble. That is because. Sometimes. God must give you and I pain. And that pain is a lot more precious. And eternally important. Than what he might have given us. By momentary pleasure. It happens. It happens a lot. Learn to trust the Lord. When it comes to us, our experience, which is controlled by a sovereign God, comes to us no matter what face it is wearing, a kind face or a harsh face. Face them with the spirit of Romans 8:28, For all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. can't tell you how many times I've been there that's why why as a pastor Lord gives me some of these experiences so I can convey them to you based on the word of God we'll never forget still see it as vividly as if it were on video standing in the parking lot in Wheeling West Virginia waiting for our two daughters, their cousins, to get back from a horseback riding trip. And I heard a lot of yelling and so forth. I couldn't tell what it was. It was down the path, the rocks and stumps and everything else. And suddenly those horses broke out of there. And they were dragging something that looked like a sack. That was my daughter, Julie. Julie. the first thing that hits your mind is, oh God, that's Julie. Talk about a harsh face. And I tried to run to get in front of that horse which saw the barn and it sped up. I wanted to get its food. I wanted to grab its bridle. I wasn't fast enough. And right in front of my face, its back hoof, Stepped on her head, but didn't crush it. But it was certainly a harsh face. Eventually, the MTs get there. I get in the back of the ambulance. Aussie couldn't believe what had happened. And that horse just had kicked her aside into the bushes. So we're headed for the hospital. A whole night vigil. A lady just across from us in that room made us feel rich. She wasn't dead yet. Then they came in and told her that her 18-year-old son was dead from a motorcycle accident. Boy, we felt rich. But it was a sure hard hard face that made us look rich. I cannot tell you The wealth that has come from that experience, both as a pastor and two people. What a harsh face. I wish I could go on and tell you, but I can't. Some stuff like that has happened to some of you. I've said that nine times already, and I'm just telling you, God is not done with you and me yet. Everything that He does is for our benefit. All things, underline all, all things work together, just like a chemist, just like a cook. They don't all feel good. They don't all taste good. They don't all look good. Sometimes they just look nasty like a pile of you know what. But God, the master chemist, the master chef, takes them and stirs them under heat and causes them to work out, as in the case of Lazarus, causes them to work out. Eventually, in one form or another, or in many ways to work out for good. Your eternal good. I have an illustration. Ask your imagination. Be real quick about it. I like to make chocolate peanut butter fudge. So I will put in... Two cups of granulated sugar. I love it. Two cups of granulated sugar. Maybe four or five. (laughs) Two cups. And then I'll go get some cocoa. And I'll put in about five tablespoons. Stir it all up. Get it really stirred well. Then I will put in three quarters a cup of canned milk under low heat. Just keep stirring it. Well, I've got to hurry with this. It's going to get away with me. And some other things. And then sometimes I'll have some kids come to the front and ask them, would you like this, the sugar? No. Well, here's some canned milk. Would you like this? No. And then I'll ask, well, would you like this cocoa? Would you? you don't like anything. And then I get to the I get it to the softball stage, and then I have this peanut butter. A lot of it. I put it would you like this? Oh yeah. They like that. And then I'll have some vanilla. This I'm kind of rambling through here. I give them some vanilla. No, they don't want any of that. They hardly like anything in it except the peanut butter. I put butter in it. They don't want that either. Almost everything that goes in that stupid recipe, nobody likes alone. But as somebody who knows what they're doing, and I do in that case, as I do it, then I ask them if they want the end result. They say, yeah. Oh, I put nuts in it too. And the little nuts like the nuts. That's the way it is. With God, the master chef in our experience, some of it doesn't taste good. A lot of it doesn't. But in God's time, in God's way, under heat, under certain measure, God knows how to measure it. It's all good. It would all be good with Lazarus, as we shall see. But things are not always as they appear to be. So remember that in God's hands, a lot of things are not as they appear to be. So thank the Lord. It's hard sometimes. Thank the Lord for all of your experience. He's the master chef. It's for his glory. We sometimes think everything's about us. It's for his glory. It is for our good. And thank him for his blessings. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for your manifold goodness, for taking our experience and using it as a platform to glorify the Son of God as you were glorifying Jesus, as we will see in the passages ahead. Help us, our Father, to be wise and not to make claims that you do not support and embarrass your great name. In his name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. <clears throat> well, I don't know what's a bigger miracle that Toyota had made a Camry back in 1921 or uh, <laughs> or that Russ just happened to have it <laughs> or that it was still running for that matter. <clears throat> uh, there were a lot of, uh, a lot of heavy illustrations. And I'm sure that uh, there are many in this room that would have uh, some similarly heavy stories of their own uh, Where nevertheless we can see the hand of God at work And uh, and sometimes, I mean Pastor Jim, he likes to say so often in the end, we win And we win big And sometimes it's not until the end that we'll win In some of these situations, um, it feels that way uh, so, But we're going we're gonna to just express our trust um, in the Lord with this last song before we go. And uh, as we do, the ushers are going to pass around the offering plate this morning. If you are visiting today, don't feel obligated to give. Um, but let's just stand together and let's just uh, praise the Lord and, uh, and confess our trust in him and uh, his providence in his timing, in his way as we sing this song together.